listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Praise the Lord. It's so good to see you here this morning. And um, we're just, we just want to be faithful. We want to proclaim the gospel. We want to preach God's word. We just happen to be in Luke chapter 14 this morning. And our focal passage is going to be verses 25 to 35. Um, uh, I praise the Lord for these young people uh, identifying with Christ through baptism, uh, sharing their public testimony. I know their families are excited. If you don't know Christ, uh, I would encourage you to call upon his name today, to believe on him today, to put your faith in him today, to surrender your life to him today, to identify with him publicly today, just as these young ladies have. Um, Our goal every week is to open God's word and preach God's word. Somebody uh, came up to uh, Michael down in McDonough a couple of weeks ago after the service, and they said, thank you so much for just opening the Bible and walking through the Bible. Not many churches do that. A friend of mine um, who had COVID, and he's older than I am, if you can imagine that, and so he's cut back on his schedule. He said, I listen to about 15 sermons a week now online, and he's a pastor, but he said, it's rare that people open the Bible and preach from the scriptures. Somebody was trying to tell uh, one of their neighbors about our church, and he began to describe it, and they said about our church, they said, oh, that's the church that preaches the Bible, and that's a good reputation to have. We not only preach the Bible, we uh, have life groups that meet, we have DNA groups that meet, we have students that meet and collide. It's all focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. We had a ladies Bible study with a table full of ladies uh, that met this morning. We had ladies Bible study in McDonough. We are trying to do the right things. We're not doing everything perfect, but we want to be faithful. Um, We want to be faithful. And so I want to be faithful to the text this morning as we open it and look at it. Jesus is talking. Um, Jesus has at the midpoint of his ministry, uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 ended uh, the first 18 months of his ministry as he's training his disciples. But in 951, the second half of his ministry begins and Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling to Jerusalem. And as he goes to Jerusalem, he's inviting people to come into the kingdom. He's explaining the kingdom to people. And we need to listen to Jesus. And I'll tell you why we need to listen to Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus because we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. And there's nothing that you can do about your sin. There is no work that you can do to be better than your sin. There's no scale that you're operating on and and your goodness outweighs your sin. There's nothing that you, you and I can do as a result of our sin but die in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ came and and walked among men, and he's the God-man. He's fully God. He's fully man. And he came from heaven to earth to identify with us, but he also came from heaven to earth to go to Jerusalem and to die for our sin in our place, to take our sin and give us his righteousness, to take our death, to die our death in our place, and to give us his life. So when Jesus is talking, we need to listen. We all stand guilty before God and we either we die for our sin or we accept the substitute that God has sent his son to die in our place for our sin. 
So when Jesus talks, we should listen. And that's what he's doing in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. I want to go back to verse 12, and Chris covered this last week. Um, and I want to point out something as I begin to read in Luke 14 and verse 12. The fact that Jesus uses the word invitation over and over and over again as he tries to make his point, and then he offers an invitation to those who are following him. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because you cannot, they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So Jesus has, has been in this series of lessons talking about the kingdom, inviting people to the kingdom, telling them the urgency of the kingdom, telling them that there is this narrow door. Verse 16, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So there is this invitation. And we're going to look at that this morning in the text. But, but secondly, not only is there this invitation, but there is this hesitation that begins in verse number 18. Notice this response to this invitation to this banquet, or in essence, this invitation into Christ's kingdom, which he's going to issue when we come to verse 25. But they all alike began to make excuses. Uh, an excuse is a rationalization. They began to rationalize in their minds. They began to have a conversation with themselves about themselves and their circumstances and about the invitation that Jesus was offering to them. And they began to think there are some things going on in my life that just might prevent me. And they thought that they had some good rational excuses for not accepting the invitation to the banquet, verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first man said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes and the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. Invite people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. None of those who hesitated or made excuses or rationalized that there was something going on in their kingdom that was more important than what was going on in the kingdom that they were being invited into. They're not going to be at the banquet. And when we come to verse 25, we see the invitation and we see the hesitation, but Jesus then gives us this demarcation. He's, he's laying it out. He's drawing a line right in the middle, and he says, you're either on this side of the line or you're on this side of the line. And there is, there is uh, no waffling as far as he's concerned. He wants those who are listening to him to understand exactly what he's saying. You're either in the kingdom or you're out of the kingdom. You're either following me or you're not following me. He couldn't be clearer. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, he uses that 
terminology essentially three times. He's, he repeats these three things in this text from verses 25 to 35. Now, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He says it again, whoever, same thing, anyone, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He then goes into explaining how life works. This is how life works for you and me. The things that are important to us, we make plans for. The things that are important to us, we, we strategize over. There are many of us here today that would say, yes, I've got a retirement account because I'm planning on living to be 65 or 70 or 75. But you're planning for the future, you live in a house now, but you think maybe I want a bigger house. You live here now, but one day you want to live on the ocean. You're thinking about, you're planning. So there are these people that, that strategize. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when you have laid a foundation and is not able to finish all which see it, it began to mock him saying the man began to build and was not able to finish or what king going out to encounter another king in war will sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 and if not while the other is yet a great way off he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace so we're we're thinking futuristically and we're planning for the future but the great thing that's going to be happening in the future is the return of Jesus Christ and his invitation for us ultimately to ex experience the consummation of his kingdom. Do we think about that? Do we think about this invitation and the end of life and the end of time? Verse 33, so therefore, any one of you, again, the third time he makes this appeal, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Verse 34 and 35, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? We know that Jesus says in Matthew 5, we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. If you are not living in this realm of demarcation, but you're living in this realm of hesitation, you want the hope of eternal life, but you don't want to enter the kingdom until the last minute, right? There is this invitation, there is this hesitation, but Jesus says, no, no, no. When you hear an invitation to the kingdom, you respond to it promptly. And then your life until you experience the consummation of the kingdom is shaped by your citizenship in the kingdom. Verse 35, it is of no use either for the soil, talking about salt, or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him here. I hope you're listening this morning, not to me, but to God's word. So we break it down. It's, it's quite simple. Jesus gives this invitation. There is this great king who is calling us to enter into his great kingdom and follow him. This is a king who has left heaven, who humbled himself, who made himself of no reputation. This is a king who doesn't ask his subjects to die for him. He doesn't ask his followers to die for him. He doesn't sit up on a horse in the back of the crowd while everybody else goes out into battle and dies. He says, y'all wait here. I'm going to go die for you. That's a great king. That's a great kingdom. There's no other king like that. 
There's no other kingdom like that. And so this king is walking out to us and he's saying, come into my kingdom. Now, the word come means to leave where you are and go to where. So it's, it's literally, you can't say I'm following Christ, but stay in the kingdom of this world or stay in the, the kingdoms that you have built for yourself. No, you leave those kingdoms and you come into Christ's kingdom. When Jesus says, come after me, come follow me, he's saying, leave where you are, repent of all that you are, leave everything behind and come and follow me. Let go of the kingdom of darkness and death and embrace the kingdom of light and life. Uh, we don't understand that this kingdom is a transcendent kingdom. We struggle with transcendence. We don't understand that this kingdom is above every other kingdom. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and every kingdom will be subject to him. Even your kingdom if you're hesitating to follow Christ. This morning. So we see this invitation. Can I stand before you this morning and say, Come into Christ's kingdom this morning? There is this invitation for you to come into Christ's kingdom. But there is this hesitation that I think many of us probably struggle with. Many of us already live in a kingdom. And we feel like in that kingdom, everything is going quite well. Our kingdom is serving us well. And it doesn't make sense to leave our kingdom. It is a kingdom that we are familiar with. It is a kingdom that is imminent. It is a kingdom that is material. It, it's, it's, it's a kingdom that doesn't make sense to leave. And somehow we try to live a completely reoriented life in a spiritual kingdom. That doesn't make sense. Leave this kingdom that I can see. Leave this kingdom that I can control. Leave this kingdom that is serving me well. Leave this kingdom that, quite frankly, I'm happy in and go into this spiritual transcendent kingdom. Leave a kingdom of eminence and go into a transcendent kingdom. The reason we make excuses is because we like the kingdom we're in and we don't want to leave it all behind to go into the kingdom of Christ. And most of us would look at these excuses and rationalizations that we just read over here in verses 7 to 17. And we would say that they're, they're, value, they're, they're valid excuses based on the value systems of the kingdom. That's how we make decisions. We make decisions, we make excuses, we make rationalizations based on the value systems of the kingdom that we live in. This makes sense. I don't doubt that there's a single one of us in this room that values industry and prosperity and acquisition and success and planning and wisdom and being prepared for the future and making sure that we can have certainty and making sure that we're covering all of our contingencies. I, I doubt that there's a single person in this room that doesn't value family and marriage and the taking of a wife. Those are all good things, but those are imminent things as well. Those are material things as well. And we happen to live in a material kingdom. But Christ is calling us to a transcendent kingdom. He's calling us to a spiritual kingdom. And when we hear that, we begin to make excuses. 
I cannot come. I cannot leave where I am. I cannot leave what I'm doing to follow you. What I'm doing is important. What I'm doing, quite frankly, is what I've ordered my life around. I've ordered my life around the acquisition. And I'm going to go look at this thing that I've acquired. I'm, I've ordered my life around these oxen. This is my livelihood. So I cannot leave and go into your kingdom. I, I've ordered my life around. I've been dating this woman and, and around marrying her. I cannot leave where I am and what I'm doing to follow you. Now, no doubt they would say they are not denying the importance of the kingdom. They gave Jesus a hearing. They're not denying the importance of the kingdom. They're just saying that I have some unfinished business in my kingdom that I need to take care of before I go into your kingdom, Jesus. And Jesus will have none of it. They're saying, I plan to come to Christ's kingdom. It sounds like a pretty good offer, just not right now. There are some things in my life right now in this eminent material kingdom that are more important to me. I can touch them. They bring me happiness. They, I like how they make me feel. I'm not going to leave this eminent kingdom to enter into some transcendent kingdom where I have no control, no promises. There are many that think that being in Christ's kingdom means that the kingdom of this world that, I, that I'm in will flourish. I, I don't think so. Jesus doesn't give us that when he makes the demarcation in calling people to follow him. We talk about human flourishing and the blessing of Christ, and, and therefore, if I'm in Christ, I flourish. That's essentially the prosperity gospel. If I'm in Christ, he'll bless my business. If I'm in Christ, he'll bless my strategies. If I'm in Christ, he'll bless my family. Jesus Christ is the key to having a fruitful, imminent, material kingdom here on earth. So no, I'm not going to leave this kingdom and follow you, Jesus. But would you bless me in the realm of my kingdom? Would you bless me where I am? If you do, I'll tithe on it. Jesus is not calling us to stay in our kingdom. Jesus is not calling us to hesitate. Jesus is not calling us to make excuses. That's why when we come to verse 25, he makes this clear uh, demarcation that is undeniable. And he says these words that I've already said. He says, he says, anyone, any one of you, verses 26, 27, and 33. He uses the word come, verse 14, 26, and 27. He's calling us, any one of you, if you will leave one place and go to another, leave where you are and come to where I am. If we are going to follow Jesus, we cannot stay where we are. And he says, come and be a disciple. Come and be a learner. Come and be a pupil. Come and be a follower. That means following Christ and understanding him doctrinally. That means if you're going to be a learner, you've got to understand him mentally. That means if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that it has to have uh, profoundly practical implications for how you live your life. It, come in, come, you cannot be my disciple. Being a disciple means relating to Jesus Christ. If any one of you is going to come into my kingdom and find life and in my kingdom, you have to leave behind any and everything that you, might, that you think might be life or that you might be living for. Jesus is saying you can't live for anything but me. That's the invitation into his kingdom. He gives us a list of things here. And if we break them out, I've created the list that... that has five or six things on it. These are some things that we might be living for instead of Christ's kingdom. The first one he lists is family. The first one he lists is family. 
He says, if you don't hate your family, the word hate there doesn't mean that I've got to hate my mom and dad and I've got to hate my kids and my kids are supposed to hate me. The, the word there for hate means love to love less, to esteem less. Uh, quite frankly, many of us have a higher allegiance to our family than we do to Jesus Christ, or we have an equal allegiance to our family as we do to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying that you cannot have a higher or equal allegiance to your family and be a follower of him. Does that mean you don't love your wife? No, I love my wife. Does that mean you don't love your kids? No, I love my kids, but I must love Christ more. And his kingdom must be of greater importance than this kingdom that I have established with me and my family. Many times our family name, our family business, our family, re family reputation, our relationships become the essence of the kingdom. You cannot use family as the definition of, of following Christ. Listen careful, carefully, because this is where a lot of us are. This is where a lot of us are. When we open the Bible every week, we come and we, we want our kids to be saved. And I want my kids to be saved. And there's not a person in this room that has been as committed. You may have been as committed to family as I have been throughout my 63 years or since I got married in 1980 and 42 years of marriage. I'm deeply committed to that. So I'm not critical of any of that. I, I love my four children and their spouses and my 11 grandchildren. I'm not diminishing the importance of, of family, but listen carefully. You cannot use family as the definition of following Christ or the excuse for not following Christ. Do you hear that? You cannot use family as the definition for following Christ. You can't say, I love my family and I want to make sure everything's well in my family. That means I'm following Christ. I think if I'm following Christ, that's the best and safest place for my family to be. We, we left here and went to Uganda, East Africa, and you can look up Kabong, K-A-A-B-O-N-G. It's not a joke. It's one of the lostest, lostest, most lostest places on the face of the planet. Um, there, 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 there was no electricity. There was no running water. The only running water was the water we poured in a 70-gallon tank up on the top of a roof. And when there was water in the tank, it would come down gravity-fed into the house that we stayed in. We did have solar power. Um, the Kermajong people, I kid you not, not, not an exaggeration, I'm underplaying it. The Kermajong people had uh, AK-47s, and they all knew how to use them. And they were constantly warring and fighting. There were five Kermajong tribes. We were, we were with the Dodoth tribe. The GA tribe means the warring tribe. They're constantly fighting over cows. The Kermajong believed that they owned all the cows in the world. And whenever they saw anybody else with a cow, they thought, you got my cow. I'm going to kill you. And you may have had that cow for 20 years. So this was constantly going on. Packed my wife up. Packed my four kids up. We got in a Nissan patrol and drove for 12 hours out of Kampala into the bush, into that area, because we wanted to be on mission for God. And that was the best place for my family. Now, most people would look at us and say, I can't believe you're taking your family up there. Right? We think in terms of, that's not good for my family. The best thing for you and your family is to be on mission for God. The best thing for you and your family is to say, I I'm following Jesus with all my heart wherever it takes me. Do not think that just because you are committed to your family that you are in the kingdom. People who don't know Christ are committed to their family as well.
So don't, also don't use your family as an excuse for not following Christ. Jesus Christ may be calling you to do some things and you say, well, what about my kids or what about my retirement plan or what about our house? Don't use your family as an excuse for not following Christ. You cannot say that you're following Christ if your primary allegiance is to your family. And in fact, many people that are family oriented follow Christ pragmatically so that things will go well in their family. And when they don't, they wonder why they're following Christ. Well, if, if Jesus can't make a difference in my family, then why in the world am I following him? You can't live for your family and respond to Christ's invitation. He, he says something else here in, in the text. He says, and even his own life, if, if you do not hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even your own life. Christ must be more important than my own life. He's talking about our identity. All that we view is life. All that we think we are, our hopes, our plans, our dreams, our reputation. Don't let your family get in the way of you entering into the kingdom. Don't let your identity get in the way of you entering the kingdom. Some would look at Jesus and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know how important I am? Don't you know what I've accomplished? But Jesus says, no, not, not at all. He says, he, he cannot be my disciple if he places his life and his reputation and what he thinks is life above my kingdom. He cannot be my disciple. So we're laying aside family. We're laying aside identity. We're laying aside tranquility. Most people think, and this is, this is the problem with, with the generation that we currently live in today and, and the prosperity gospel that we preach that is a false gospel. Most of us think that if you're in Christ and you're in the kingdom, then you're just going to be happy. And the goal is to be happy. Whatever it takes to make me happy is what Jesus is all about. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, come follow me and there will be tranquility. Jesus said, no, 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 come follow me and you'll bear a cross. Here, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to bear the cross. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And now he's telling his followers, he's like, guys, I'm heading to Jerusalem. Come and follow me. Come into my kingdom. But if you come into my kingdom, you're going to have to bear a cross. If you're going to follow me, there's going to be pain. There's going to be disruption. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be cross-bearing Jesus bore the cross. The early church gladly bore the cross. The cross is a representation of death and condemnation and self-denial and hatred and being hunted and being persecuted and being a spectacle to the world and being laughed at and jeered at and abandoned and forsaken and crucified. That's what it means to bear a cross. Jesus said, if you're going to come into my kingdom, abandon your man-centered notion of peace and happiness and tranquility and everything going your way. Jesus is not preaching a prosperity gospel. He's preaching transcendence, not eminence. He's preaching a kingdom that we enter into now. It is a spiritual kingdom that is going to be consummated when he returns. And that's what we're looking forward to. So I'm not looking for a kingdom that's here where everything goes my way. The fourth thing we see is strategy, and that's what he's saying here. You, you, you plan on building something, and you don't make sure you got enough money. You don't make sure you got enough building materials. You plan on going to war, and you're going to fight somebody, and you didn't even evaluate your enemy. Vladimir, 
right? Completely underestimated Ukrainians, right? And he's, he's like, look, you're, you're living in a kingdom now. Are you, are you looking at it strategically? Are you uh, evaluating the resources that you have? Because quite frankly, if you're going to stay in the kingdom that you're in, you're going to die and be separated eternity from a holy God. But if you will abandon this kingdom that you're in and come into my kingdom, my spiritual kingdom, my transcendent kingdom, and live for that transcendent kingdom and live your life practically on the basis of the values of my transcendent kingdom, then you're going to find not only a different life here, abundant life now, but you're going to find a different life when the kingdom is consummated and you're welcomed into that kingdom by none other than Jesus Christ to come to the banquet. We all have strategies, right? We all have strategies. Can I ask you a quick question? Do you have a strategy for the mission of God? Do you have a strategy? Are you, when you look at your life, saying, what are we trying to accomplish? You look, do you look over at your wife and say, what are we trying to accomplish with our, wife, our life, honey? Or whatever you call her. Woman. I don't know what you call her. What are we trying to accomplish with our life? What kingdom are we living for? What are our goals? And, and for those of us that say we're in the kingdom, our life goals, the things that bring us great joy ought to be those things that we look at and those strategies that we've developed that are relative to the kingdom of Christ and not to our earthly kingdom. And then finally, notice what Jesus says, verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce, leave behind all that he has, cannot be my disciple. I guess we can just kind of explain that away. He didn't really mean that. He, he, he definitely had to mean something else. The word renounce means to abandon, to take leave of, to withdraw, to bid farewell to, to say goodbye to, to forsake. Don't try to synthesize these two kingdoms together. I don't know what he meant other than what he said, and I can't make anything out of it, and I don't want to try to pare it down. I don't want to try to explain it away. I, I fear if we try to explain away what Jesus is saying here, that we become worthless salt. I fear if we say, ah, he didn't really mean that. No, he didn't really mean that. He just meant something else. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We lose our power and our influence and our impact. Salt is uh, good. I, I don't know that I've ever eaten bad salt. I've gone somewhere where they didn't put rice in the salt in a restaurant and it stuck, you know, and you can't, you're like, what's wrong with this thing? And then somebody takes the lid off and pours the salt all over the grits and you ruin some good grits that way. But there's a salt that loses its impact. These ex excitotoxins that cause our brain to say, that's good. These spices that make our noses run and us grab for some water that wake us up to say, that was hot. Jesus is saying that we should have that kind of influence and impact. Why? Because we are a part of a completely different kingdom. We walk in from a, a completely different life source. We are, ex we are having poured out of us a completely different energy because we are in this kingdom where Christ is king and his spirit lives inside of us. 
as I prayed this morning, I, I just said, Lord, I, I don't always know what to do. I just wish you were here. <laughs> I just wish I could sit down beside you and you could say, Mark, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. This is how I want you to live. This is what you need to get rid of. This is what you need to buy. This is what you need to throw away. This is what you need to keep. And as I was praying, this thought came to my mind. Well, I've got the Holy Spirit. Jesus did leave. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he sent his Spirit to come and live inside of us. And his Spirit is speaking to you and me right now if he's in you. Don't come to me after the service and say, what, what should I do? Well, just do what Jesus said. Well, how, do I, how am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to do? Well, you've got the Spirit in you if you're in the kingdom. If you're not in the kingdom, get in the kingdom. When you get in the kingdom, you get the Spirit. When you have the Spirit, he leads us and guides us into all truth. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what to sell or what to buy. I'm not trying to get anything from you for my kingdom but I want you to enter into this kingdom, this amazing transcendent kingdom with this great king. I had the, just, I, I, sometimes I have these reading spells and I'm in the middle of a reading spell. It'll probably end today because I said something about it, but I'm reading and I'm listening and, and I'm trying to understand. I want to understand who I'm speaking to. I want to understand what's kind of ruminating through your mind. And so understanding culture, and there are people that are studying culture from a theological perspective, solid, Bible-believing, Christ-loving folks that, that have a, uh, their hand on the prophetic, in a prophetic way on, on the pulse of, of, of the culture. And here's the shocking thing about what's going on currently in, in our culture. Those who say they follow Christ are, are looking more for human flourishing in the imminent Again, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the, the magnetism. So, so we want to follow Jesus so that our, our material world will be better, so that our physical world will be better. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So this is contempor contemporary context. Those who say they are Christians are fixated on the imminent and the impact that a relationship with Jesus Christ would have on the material physical world, while the world that is lost is so sick and tired of this imminent world. They're tired of it. They're exhausted by it. And they're looking for something in the transcendent world. No, they're not looking to Christ. But they're, they're, they're thinking in terms of transcendence. That's why when you hear a movie star who has everything is all of a sudden now talking about Christian science or talking about, some, or talking about Buddhism or, or talking about some transcendent form of thought. They realize that they have exhausted all of the possibilities of the imminent world, of the material world, and they're looking for something spiritual. And what their heart ultimately longs for is Jesus Christ. And Jesus stands up and says, come into the kingdom. And I ask you this morning, can you hear Jesus Christ as he invites you into the kingdom? Can you hear him? He's not angry. He's not frustrated. He's not ambivalent. He's very personal. We know he's very loving. We know that he's very compassionate. We know that he's very sacrificial. 
We know that he's inviting people on the king, into the kingdom on the basis of his own death for them. He's going to bear our sin. But we also know that when we come into the kingdom, we have the guarantee of eternal life because Jesus, when he goes to Jerusalem, is going to die. And three days later, he's going to rise from the grave. And he's going to live forevermore. And all who are in his kingdom will experience the resurrection as well. So do you hear him? Verse 35. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Have you heard the invitation? Is your mind flooded with hesitation? Jesus lays it out with clear demarcation. Let me, let me just make uh, some simple statements and I'm done. Every believer is called to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, again, there's the whole argument out there. Can you believe in Christ and be saved but not be a follower of Jesus Christ? And you can argue until you're blue in the face. Jesus said, anyone who would come after me. I, I, I cannot even begin to imagine someone professing to be saved, but then somehow thinking that they're not a follower of Jesus Christ or a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? So, so every believer is called to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Every believer is called to be a disciple, a, a learner. Secondly, following Christ is all-encompassing. It, it demands all that we have and all that we are. Following Christ is all-encompassing. It encompasses us relationally. It encompasses us strategically. It encompasses us materially. We cannot follow Christ and divide our loyalties. We cannot. Thirdly, following Christ means a clean break with all that was you. Your identity, your life, your purpose, a clean break with all that was you and releasing all that is not him and fully embracing all that he is. Following Christ means releasing all that was you. And when we release all that is us, pardon my grammar, if it's not accurate, my wife will tell me she's an English teacher. Releasing all that is not us so my hands are empty so that I can embrace all that he is. Following Christ means a clean break with all that was me. Releasing all that is not him and fully embracing all that is him. His heart, his spirit, his way of life, his truth, his mission. Following Christ, fourthly, means that we are stimulating change agents in the world. In our sphere of influence, we are activated salt. We are seasoning. You say, what's wrong with the world? You can always expect the world to act like the world. The problem's not what's wrong with the world. There's always been something wrong with the world. The world doesn't know Christ. The question that we need to be asking, and by the way, the world's in a mess. The world's crazy. I've never seen it like this. It scares me. When I watch the news, it scares me. When I read, it scares me. When I look at my news feed, it scares me. When I consider the decisions that are being made, it scares me. When a Supreme Court justice can't tell you what a woman is, that scares me. Those things scare me. The lawlessness scares me. The evil scares me. The hatred for God scares me. The rebellion against God scares me. It does. The question that needs to be asked is not what's wrong with the world, though. The question that needs to be asked is what's wrong with the church. We're supposed to be salt, folks. When you, when you, when you get up and go to work, you're supposed to be salt in that workplace. You're supposed to be spice in that workplace. 
We should make an impact where we are. Following Christ means that we're stimulating change agents in the world, in our sphere of influence. We are not contaminated by the world. We are not tasteless. We are not flat. We are not dull. This is what this, is what this dead salt, this dull salt means. We are not morose. We are not sluggish. We are not insipid. We are not flat. That's not a Christian in the kingdom. Fifthly, some will hear and some will not. Some have ears and some don't. Why do we hear? We hear because the Spirit is working in our hearts and lives and minds and ears to, to enable us to hear. When we hear, we know that something is wrong and our ears long to hear the truth of what is right. Do you not know something is wrong? And can you not hear the word of God and say that, that this, while it is counterintuitive to my human nature, it certainly makes sense over and against all of the mess that's happening in the world around us? Doesn't, doesn't what's going on in the world make you wonder what's going on? And don't you want to hear something that makes some sense? And I'm telling you what's going on in the world. It is the kingdom of darkness. And Christ is inviting us into the kingdom of light. Why do we hear? Secondly, why don't we hear? We don't hear because we, we already know everything. <laughs> We're just listening to see if we agree or not. We already know everything, so I can't hear anything if I know everything. I've, I've watched a 45-second TikTok video, so I know everything. We're listening to and believing the wrong voice. We're blinded and deceived by lies and deception. We don't hear anything because we fear man. We've got a hold of some things like the monkey who stuck his hand into the jar to grab whatever was placed in the bottom of the jar. And when he balls up his fist, his fist to try to pull it out, he can't get it out. But we're hanging on to it. We're hanging on to it. I'm coming to you today in the middle of the, the, the bad news that is just, just fomenting on the face of this planet. And I'm offering you good news. Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, you need to listen. There is a better king. There is a better kingdom. Leave the kingdom of darkness. Leave the kingdom of this world. Leave the kingdom that you're the king of and come into Christ's kingdom. Let go of it. If the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And it is alive Satan, beginning in Genesis 3, to think that being in Christ's kingdom means you're incarcerated. No. The kingdom that you're in that is not Christ's kingdom is incarceration and you're on death row. You're on death row. Finally, can you hear Christ this morning saying, come after me and follow me? Of all the lies before you in this world and in this life, of all of the vast possibilities and endless opportunities, this is by far your greatest opportunity. This is by far your greatest opportunity. Jesus says, come after me. Come into my kingdom. Right now, I plead with you in Christ's stead. Come into the kingdom. I plead with you from Christ's word come into the kingdom this is as good as it gets 
No other opportunity will exceed this opportunity. No other opportunity has greater consequence for your time or eternity. Nothing will be more difficult. Nothing will be more painful. Nothing will be more joyful. Nothing will be more meaningful. Nothing will be more beautiful. Nothing will be more valuable. When all is said and done, I promise you, you will not regret hearing this invitation from Jesus Christ. Jesus is talking. Will you follow me, he says. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Will you follow Christ today? That is his invitation to us. Call upon his name. Surrender to him. There's not a magical formula. There's not a magical formula. Admit to him that... You are in a kingdom of your own that has served you well, but you repent of that kingdom because it is not his kingdom and does not bring him glory. It brings you glory. Call upon him and ask him to forgive you and ask him to save you. Today is the day of salvation. And he will, and his spirit will enter your heart, and he will lead you, and he will guide you. Find yourself in the community of believers. Walk with them. Be challenged by them. Feel the love of Christ that flows out of them. Be complete in them. It is not good for man to be alone. Find yourself in a community of brothers and sisters that will help you in every way possible and shepherd your heart in every way possible. Jesus invites us to come into his kingdom.